A very hearty welcome to all our listeners. You are listening to Professor David Block, and we are always looking up. I think that's just the awesomeness of the universe, is how diverse our universe really is. It just has occupied the greatest of minds, such as Stephen Hawking, for his lifetime and lifetimes to come. And the wonderful thing, as I always tell my students, is one never runs dry of any topic because astronomy is just so awesome and so varied in its context, in its structure, from cosmology to astronomy to astrophysics to the Large Hadron Collider to New Horizons on Pluto and so forth and so forth. Again, you are listening to Professor David Block. A hearty welcome. If you want to reach us on WeChat, which is certainly the most popular methodology of reaching us, you just go uh, cliffcentral.com and you hit us. Uh, you reach me right in studio. I'm assisted ably, most ably so, by Duncan, as always. And to reach me in studio, you can dial 0861-555-189. That's 0861-555-189 with the uh, WeChat ID Cliff Central. Today I want to speak about the end of the world. Uh, if you Google, now don't worry, but if you Google, and Dunkel will do this too, if you Google, for example, September 28 and Doomsday, just as an example, I think it will come up with a vast number of hits. And I'm just seeing what it does. Oh, yes, there we go. It's a, it says list of dates predicted for apocalypse. Apocalyptic, apocalyptic, forgive me for being tongue-tied, um, apocalyptic events. And September 2080 is right hot on the target, right top of the list. So we need to understand what is happening on uh, September 28 that is apparently um, marking or, um, or demarcating the end of the world. Folk, this is going to be huge. I mean, it's going to, it's already hitting the social media. Duncan, let's look at a couple of other little hits that you got with uh, September 28. And uh, there we are, Doomsday Book and so on. And uh, if we put in September uh, 28, um, you know, and just put in Haggy, H-A-G-E-E, as we have here, then you'll see vast numbers of more hits. And uh, so uh, there we go. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, it says here uh, that the Lord is coming to Israel on September the 28th um, and so forth. So this really is um, occupying uh, the minds of multitudes. In fact, it's one of the best-selling books on Amazon.com, it's it is absolutely uh, unprecedented in sales. The book Four Blood Moons by John Hagee has spent more than a hundred and fifty days in um, Amazon's top one hundred and fifty by April of last year. So you can imagine what's happened in the interim since then. It's um, 
by uh, mid-April of last year already, we had hit the number four on the New York Times best-selling list, bestseller list. Duncan, what does that say to you about this book? I mean, the the curiosity and popularity. I mean, what does it say to you about this book? It's intense. Well, Professor, I, I will say that. Uh, uh what I'm learning from this is that yes. people are scared of the the end of the world. That's true. So that's right. They're really, really scared. Yes. People are. That's a very good point. I think that what's driving this very much so is um, a fear factor. People are very scared, and because people are often very astronomically untrained, Duncan, mm. they are even more scared. Yeah. Because, for example, if someone who's a total novice in medicine were to come and make a certain statement, it might not worry the populace too much because they'll realize he's a novice. But if an astro- if you see something in the heavens, like the moon going blood red, and you've read on the media that uh, the end of the world is drawing nigh, you might well associate that because, remember, the events which I'm talking about are live, are visual. And uh, if you were standing outside, Duncan, on December, uh, on September 28, and you looked up and you saw the moon suddenly go blood red, you might well think, well, maybe these doomsday scenarios uh, do have a point. I think it's quite an incredible achievement on the part of the author, Haggy, to reach the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, that is quite extraordinary. I mean, we're looking here uh, at a book which has sold millions upon millions, if not, if not more, of uh, copies. And so I, wearing my hat as a professor of applied math and astronomy, I need to see whether there's any truth in this or not. Now, first of all, first of all, something is going to happen on September the 28th. Something is going to happen. It will not be the end of the world, but I will explain to you exactly and precisely what will happen on September the 8th so that you're fully briefed. I think this has been one of my key callings on Cliff Central is to give you the truth. Uh, long before them, you know, the papers do and the media, although on the social media, it's all over the place. But I need to bring you the truth. I need to ground you in proper astronomy. And I need to look at where Haggis, if he's right at any point or if he's completely wrong. And that's why uh, I have the uh, awesomeness of speaking to you today. Uh, Professor, I think one thing that plays a big role as well in people, uh, with people just jump, jumping into conclusions yes. is a miseducation. Absolutely. They, they really don't know what is what, so they just uh, assume things. Well, that's right. I think to be misinformed is an extremely dangerous arena to be playing in. You know, just think of this. Imagine, uh, Duncan, if you're going in, say, for an arm surgery, surgery on the arm, and your orthopod is just half-trained, is a novice. You wouldn't want him to touch you, right? Ever. And yet, the point about these books is they are touching millions of people because they're touching their minds, and they're creating huge amounts of bewilderment, huge amounts of fear, huge amounts of anxiety, and huge amounts of rubbish. But the point is the people do not realize why it's rubbish or junk, as I as a professor would call it today. Junk, that's what I would call it. 
uh, the claim is junk. But the point is that, uh, I mean, I'm talking of something. I'm talking of a book here that's captured America's mindset. I mean, I'm talking big stuff, not small little, you know, a book that's been written by some novice. I'm talking something that's on Amazon.com's bestseller list. I'm talking about something that's on the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, I'm talking big stuff, the thing that has captured the imaginations of millions of people in America and around the globe. So let's delve straight into it in this little um, global stream, looking up with Professor David Block. And please feel free to ask me any questions you might have around this um, scenario. Now, as I'm showing Duncan, the title of the book is uh, Four Blood Moons. It's got their New York Times bestseller list, and uh, it says something is about to change. Well, what is a blood moon? Yes, Duncan. Uh, what do you think a blood moon might be? I'll uh, delve I mean, just, into just delve into it and tell me what you think. I think it's just dust particles that have gathered in the sky. Yes. And uh, by that time, they're just crossing the moon. Yes. And the sun is behind the moon by uh-huh. that time. So... But that that creates the sort of illusion where you say that the moon is red okay. when it's not. Okay, so you're very close to it, Duncan, and well well answered. Is that I've got a, a little view graph of a blood moon in front of me. Duncan and I are looking at. Now, what happens is that the moon enters the shadow of the Earth during an eclipse of the um, moon. The moon actually enters the uh, shadow of the Earth, so. You have the sun, you have the earth, and the full moon uh, often enters the shadow of the earth. And when it does, the moon turns blood red. And some people have called this a blood moon, although I just call it a red moon. I don't see, you know, perhaps red uh, and blood might be uh, synonymous. I don't know. I didn't want to go down that line. But the line I want to go to is wearing my hat as an astronomer is that I remember in Krugersdorp, Duncan, standing up one morning and looking at the moon, and this is exactly what happened. The moon was full, and then it looked like something was eating it up, and it eventually started glowing completely red. And then as it comes out of the Earth's shadow on the other side, it starts becoming just gloriously full moon again. So these are called total eclipses of the moon, and they are exceedingly common. So what is the hype about these blood moons? Well, the hype is that it's not in the singular, but it's in the plural. It's not blood moon, the title, but blood moons. So let's examine that very, very carefully and see where we're heading. Is that uh, the interesting thing here is that... uh, there has been a series or a sequence of four blood moons. Can you see that, Duncan? Mm. There were two last year, two eclipses of the moon last year, and there are two this year, and the last one is on the 28th of this mo- of next month, the 28th of September, 2015. So, on Pesach, Passover, on April f- 15 last year, we had a total eclipse of the moon, and that is right. Then on Sukkot, on the 8th of October, we had again another blood moon. 
Then, on April the 4th of this year, there was another total lunar eclipse. So you've got three. And uh, the fourth one is heralding um, a total eclipse of the moon on the 28th of September of this year. So there are four in a row, two last year, two this year, occurring all on Passover or Sukkot. And so there appear certain people like John Hagee who are saying that this signifies or may signify the uh, end of the world. Uh, the reason is that they see this tetrad, meaning four, or uh, uh, total lunar eclipses, two last year and two this year, ending on September the 28th. They are always occurring, these two last year and this year, on Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles, Pesach and Sukkot. And the, the, the real point here is, is there something special about this or is there not? Now, when you look at a blood moon, uh, as the um, moon enters the shadow of the earth, it's very dramatic. But the point is, it's very natural. Lunar eclipses occur all the time, and total lunar eclipses all the time. So we need to look very, very carefully. You know, if I'm just looking at an image here of the dome of the rock and a blood-red moon over Jerusalem, you can see, Duncan, it's exceedingly dramatic and striking. What would you feel, Duncan, just as a matter of interest, what would you feel if you were in Jerusalem, which is obviously, you know, really just such a holy place, and you were in Jerusalem, and you were seeing the moon suddenly go fainter and fainter and fainter and redder and redder and redder, in your mind, would it signify something? Well, Professor, if I was uneducated, yes. I would probably be scared out of my pants, Professor. Well, there you go. And I love that what Duncan says. He says he'd be scared out of his pants. I mean, that's the point. That's why I'm here. That's why Gareth and Rena invited me to be on this uh, global stream. Is I always want to give you something totally current and the truth. Wearing my hat as a professor who studies a professor of astronomy who studies the truth. So what uh, people in the United States, a couple of people did was they looked at this, for example, Dome of the Rock and this photo of a blood-red moon, and they sort of thought to themselves, well, let's just see how many there are last year and this year, and they noticed there were two and another two this year. But then they noticed that these two last year happened exactly at the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover, two, um, you know, of the... Um, you know, holy feasts, as it were, or two of the really great Jewish feasts. And um, and then, of course, uh, this year, the same on Pesach and Sukkot. And so people are in, in the States started getting prophetic about this and saying there must be something very, very special about these blood moons. Well, Duncan, what do you think about the prophecy that, you know, these are absolutely now uh, going to herald the end of the world? I mean, you're dealing, you're sitting here next to me, but uh, what would your take be with regard to that? Uh, I know one thing for sure that uh, throughout history, Professor, uh, the, the human beings of that time yes. would always think that this is the time the world ends. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, it's it's going to go on forever. Even uh, two centuries from now, yeah. people will be saying, no, these are the last days. Yes. Well, now let's wear our – that's an excellent answer and an excellent thought to ponder. But let's put on our thinking hats again and let's look at history. Duncan, there have been 62 tetrads. That means 62 times 
that you've had a sequence uh, of four lunar eclipses in a row. 62 tetrads. Remember, tetrad means four. So you've got four blood moons sequentially. There have been 62 of them. But what's very interesting is that eight of them in history gone by have coincided with both the Jewish feasts of Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. So this... Tetrad is not unique at all. It's happened eight times before. Uh, and in fact, there have been 62 tetrads, 62 tetrads since the first century. During this century, during the 21st century, there are eight sets of tetrads. So I would say that tetrads are just a very frequent occurrence in the current pattern. But authors won't tell you this. Or certain authors won't. Why? Because they want to sell their books. Mm. They won't tell you, Duncan, that it's happened 62 times in the past, 62 tetrads since the first. They won't tell you that it's, there have been eight which have coincided. Eight tetrads. That's 32 eclipses. Um, uh, you know, eight tetrads. Uh, have coincided with the Jewish feast of Passover and the Feast of Jerusalem. They won't tell you this. The world didn't end during those eight epochs, but they don't tell you this. And so the public feed on misinformation. Who can we trust, Professor? Well, this is the point, is who can we trust? And I think that that is really a key point here, is who can we really trust? And I suppose that's the privilege I have, Duncan, of being here each week and of being invited to speak here and around the world is in my own limited space, I try and feed people with the truth. And I trust that uh, just on the basis of one's credentials, that as an astronomer, if I'm speaking about matters astronomical, please ask an astronomer. If you're speaking about matters, you know, medical, speak to a medical guy. If you're speaking, if you want an expert in investment, you know, speak to my son, Aaron Block. But the point is, speak to a person who's highly trained in that area, Duncan. And I think this is what goes to show is that certainly, and this is a matter of history. I'm writing a book on Galileo Galilei. And it's very interesting how people misinterpreted the Bible and make the most erroneous errors. And I want to say this that people in theology should not venture into astronomy. Because if people in theology venture into astronomy, they are venturing into a domain of which they know nothing. And uh, it's very, very dangerous because here we have a man who one can respect greatly in terms of uh, his preaching capability. I've never listened to him, so I cannot comment. And that's not my role to comment on, because I'm not a theologian. But one thing I want to say is this. His claims that, you know, the end of the world is drawing nigh and so on, that I would put in the rubbish bin. I would really trash any of that. For example, you know, a key focus in the book is Israel, well, David Ben-Gurion publicly pronounced the Israeli Declaration of Independence in 1948, Duncan, on May the 14th, 1948. And what's interesting is there was nothing in the sky. There was no tetrad of lunar eclipses during 1948. So, But there's something far more subtle about this, uh, which I want to explore. And I'm going to show Duncan a few maps. But Duncan, you have a question. Uh, Professor, just show me the maps and we'll get back to it. All right. So I want to show you this. The first one happened last year, April the 15th. 
and it happened on Pesach, and I went outside, and you could see this very, very clearly. But there's certain parts of the earth, and from those parts, there's certain parts of the earth from which you can see these eclipses, and certain parts which you can't. Now, Duncan, can you see on this map that there's something very worrying? Uh, it is claimed that the Lord will return to Israel during these sequence, this tetrad. Now, can you see here, Duncan, this black shaded area? It says there's no eclipse visible. The eclipse of April 15, 2014, last year, Israel didn't see it. Israel's I can see, I can see can that. Can you yeah. see that? Yeah. So, in other words, it was invisible from Israel. The whole focus of the four blood moons is, you know, a pro- prophetic apparently and it claims that you know this sequence is going to herald in the end of the world but uh, as an astronomer i just had a quick check and i looked and i see that this eclipse is not visible from israel at all so that's very embarrassing you see it's again showing that uh Please, I want to plead with people who are listening to me, whether you're here or whether you're in Dubai or wherever you might be, is please listen to astronomers when it comes to matters astronomical. We do happen to have highly trained people in our country and in the world in this field and ask them. Just like if I, for example, uh, might, you know, need some neurophysiological advice or um, whatever advice I might need. But Professor, yes, in this day Duncan, and age, it, yes. it's so easy for people to uh, fro- uh, fake their uh, qualifications and stuff. So how do you know an astronomer is an astronomer? Well, I mean, that's a very interesting point, too, is that you can buy certificates online. Uh, so how do you know this? Well, you know, I would say this, that, um, you know, f- step number one, you look at their certificates. So that's step number one. But step number two is you speak to them or you read their books. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you'll, uh, that shifts, that sifts, you know, the wheat from the chaff immediately. I mean, you know, I can be speaking to a surgeon as I was two days ago and I could just, you know, in the first words he spoke, I realized this is a man, an ICU specialist of immense integrity and knowledge, you know, just came through. Mm. Whereas if I was reading a book and uh, it's written by someone who's bought a certificate online, I would certainly put it in the trash can. I can <laughs> sift out within 30 seconds whether someone's a fake or real, um, probably 15 seconds, I can sift out. And uh, it just doesn't take long. I suppose it's just like this, Duncan, you know, am I a specialist in operating the desk controls? No. Well, how would you know the answers? No. Well, you put me behind the desk and you say, Prof, let's go online. And I don't know which buttons to press. Mm. And uh, you'd immediately say the guy's a fake. His claim is a fake. That is an expert sound engineer. You just need, you know, you just need two seconds of their time. Mm, and, you, you know, or you take them to a telescope and say, operate it and just see what they do. You know, they don't know what to do. Or if they look at the top of the tube <laughs> instead of the bottom, then you realize this guy is a total fake, a lunatic, loony bin. So, uh, Nathan is asking, welcome, Nathan. I always enjoy your questions so much. It's just awesome. And uh, what do we do in the last days, Prof? Do we simply pray for forgiveness? Well, the question, Nathan, is um, a very interesting one, is that I would say that uh, we are not living, well, 
let me say this. September 28, 2015 is not the last day. That's the point. So while I believe, and sincerely so, that, you know, from an historical point of view, if you look at the book of Acts, the disciples, Duncan, believed that they were living in the last days. They really did. They believed the return of the Lord was imminent, and yet we know that we in the year 2015, and the world is still continuing. So... I would say that uh, every day, Nathan, we should be praying for forgiveness. I believe that. I believe like Mr. Mandela did, that we should forgive one another and love one another and believe the best in one another. I believe that's a state we need to be living in. But my point about this uh, feed today and this wonderful or exciting topic is that uh, September 28, uh, 2015 is not the last day. Professor, with yes. uh, all all this conversating we're doing, yes, talking about the yes. end of the world, I, I just wonder what do they mean exactly when they say the end of the world? Yes, I mean that's 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 very that I like that question very much. Um, if one, for example, uh, were to now, if one, for example, were to look at the New Testament, for then um, according uh, to the New Testament, the Lord will return. Uh, to the earth and uh, that would mark the end of the current regime of existence in terms of just living normally as you and I are, Duncan. In other words, the return of the Lord is looked upon as demarcating the end of the world. Um, this It's actually quite complex, but you've got the end of the world and you've got the rapture and you've got many, many different um Phenomena which take place, but it's really uh, the end of the world in theological circles, certainly in Christian theological circles, would be demarcated by the return of the Messiah. That is how I would understand the return, the end of the world in um, in that sense, or in the sense, and I'm sure if you Googled it, uh, I would be right. What does the end of the world mean? And uh, Duncan's just doing that. I think it's a fascinating thing. Uh, so let's look. What does it mean? Well, we don't want to go to number two, but yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're just looking here, waiting for it to load up some. The end of the world. And uh, there we are. Um, so uh, yeah, here we go. We often use the phrase end of the world. Uh, others do, Christians do, and so on. And what, what does it mean? And uh, it really does mean what I've been saying, that, uh, you know, it's the, it's the return of the, uh, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and of the earth to, the, um, to our planet. And that's really how I would interpret the uh, end of the world. But you can see the different meanings too according to different people. But that's how I understand. That's what I believe John Hagee is trying to say here. John Hagee is trying to say that Jesus will actually return to Israel on September the 28th, 2015. At least that's how I understand what his book is saying. So the first tetrad is not visible over Israel. So let's go to the second one. I'm going to have to stop you right there, Professor. Yes. I just read an interesting article uh, yes. from the, the Daily Mail, and it, okay. it goes on to say that uh, professors in the Ukraine, astronomers, yes. believe that in uh, the year 2032, yes. a comet. Okay, so they're going for another apocalyptic event, mm. that a comet's going to come in and strike the Earth, and that that will... Um, so 
so now, now, but what's interesting, Duncan, is if you keep that up there, it says the headline says, calm down. NASA debunks that the world will end in 2013. So I'm debunking that the world will end in 2015. Now we're going to 2032. And you see what this does, Duncan? It feeds on curiosity. Mm. It feeds on fear. Mm. And people love this. People love it. So if you believe that uh, the comet is coming to the earth in 2032, <laughs> you know, you buy the book. That's exactly what the authors want. They want you to buy the book. And, uh, you know, end times and so on. And you can see, you know, Duncan's bringing up myriads of sites where it says that, uh, you know, are we living in the end times and so on. But the whole, the whole idea is this. As a professor of astronomy, and I'm not wearing a theological hat now, but as a professor of astronomy, let's look at the next eclipse, Duncan, which was occurred on October the 8th, 2014. It's very embarrassing. Wasn't visible from Israel. Can you see that, Duncan? Or in Africa. Wasn't visible over the whole of Africa. We couldn't see it. I didn't see it. And it certainly wasn't over visible over the whole of Europe. Wasn't visible uh, over Norway, Sweden. It wasn't visible over Israel. It wasn't visible over Egypt. So to claim Israel is the focal point and that this is marking uh, the return of the Lord uh, here is just it's nonsense it's just uh, it's a normal astronomical occurrence it's a total lunar eclipse which happened to occur on October the 8th 2014 but it had nothing to do with John Hagee's passionate love which is Israel so let's go to the third one the third one was this year uh, the total lunar eclipse of uh, April the 4th and that was a wonderful day to wake up and, um, you know, I, I suppose I spend half my life sometimes debunking these sorts of myths, Duncan, uh, because people love hype. And here you've got a man who's not an astronomer making a claim that I believe, that I personally believe, is absolutely, totally false. So, Duncan, where do you see this eclipse of April the 4th, 2015? Uh, is it visible over Africa? Uh, it's just about touching Madagascar, but no, not at all. Not Professor. at all. You Nothing. can't see it. No, you can't see it from Africa. What about Europe, Duncan? Mm-mm, barely. Barely. In fact, you can only see it, uh, on this map here. Certainly you can see it from Australia, but Australia is not featuring high on the end times list. And over certain parts, the western parts of the United States. So I'm afraid that if you look at these three out of the four tetrads, I don't see Israel as featuring at all in terms of apocalyptic events. Uh, certainly the moon turned red, but if if it was an apocalyptic event, certainly it would turn red over Israel itself, like, for example, over the Dome of the Rock. Well, these are these eclipses, three out of four, are not even visible from Israel. Well, let's look now at the date which is coming up. In just over a month's time, uh, September the 28th, 2015. And let's have a very good look at uh, this one. Now, what's very interesting about this eclipse is that if you want to watch it from Israel and see it properly, 
the eclipse occurs at moonset. That means the moon is almost invisible. Not totally so, but it'll be very, very low down on the horizons. Can you see that, Duncan? Mm. Very, very low down on the horizon. So three out of the four, you miss it completely. One out of the four, if you stand in a high-rise building and have a good look quickly, you'll see it. So, you know, this is not the way God operates at all, folks. This is not the way I understand God of the universe operating at all. These are just four normal total lunar eclipses. Yes, the moon will turn blood red. And yes, I'm very aware of the passage that, you know, in the days of the Lord, uh, you know, the return of the Lord, the moon will be turned to blood and so forth. But it's not this. It's definitely not this. Uh, these are just normal astronomical events. But what does concern me is the tremendous amount of um, misinformation. Allow me to repeat this. That Israel became, uh, achieved its state of independence of 1948. Uh, Duncan, I'm sure you can put up some beautiful images of that. Um, uh, the, uh, Israel independence. the Israel independence, 1948. And I'm sure we'll see David Ben Gurion standing and making his famous speech. Yes. There we go, Israel independence. There we go, the Israeli declaration of independence. And there are the pictures I want. That's right, showing David Ben-Gurion and so forth. So that was an incredible day um, for uh, the state of Israel. But the point really is, the point I'm making is that um, there was no lunar eclipse that year. If God ever wanted something special for Israel on that day from an epoch, apocalyptic point of view or an end of the world scenario uh, surely uh, that might have occurred but you see what's happening Duncan is we having a huge amount of misinformation being fed in by astronomical novices Professor what's the difference between misinformation and disinformation well I I tend to put them in the same basket Um, misinformation might be directional. In other words, you know, misinformation, if I give you something, I might actually know better, but tell you something else. Mm. That's how I sort of look at the word misinformation, whereas disinformation is perhaps a slightly lesser on the hierarchy. Disinformation is just, well, I might give you some piece of advice, but I really don't know better anyway. That's really what I'd perhaps term in my mind anyway, disinformation. But misinformation can be, you can be um, uh, misguided, but intelligently so. Um, for example, one might be told that uh, a certain uh, event is going to happen or the stock market will crash when, in fact, the investor knows the stock market won't crash. Do you get the idea? Yeah. That is what, that's how I would understand uh, misinformation. But I just want to say, is, see something here Duncan has put here. I want to read this quote. Oh, this is good. It's by Bill Laswell. So Bill Laswell is a musician, and uh, you can find this on izquotes.com. This is a very interesting quote, Duncan. Uh, people are, a quote, 
People are afraid of things they don't understand. They don't know how to relate. It threatens their security, mm. their existence, their career, their image. Well, that's exactly, I think, what's happening here yep. is people are afraid of things they really don't understand. They don't know. It threatens their security. And I think this is what's happening is the author such as John Hagee is, is venturing into a domain of astronomy. And it all seems very logical, doesn't it, Duncan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that you've got these four blood moons. They're all occurring uh, either on Pesach, Passover, or the Feast of the David Agles, Sukkot. And so, you know, four in a row and they're all turning blood. And the pastor says the end of the world is coming. Do you understand what I'm saying? The pastor is not an astronomer. Well, that is my key point in this broadcast today is that the pastor is not an astronomer. Now listen to me. The, and listen to Duncan. Listen to Duncan. The pastor is not an astronomer. Let us go back to one of the greatest crimes ever committed to an astronomer. One of the greatest crimes ever committed in the entire history of mankind to an astronomer. The astronomer in question is Galileo Galilei. Galileo Galilei was the first person basically to turn the telescope heavenward and look at the stars and so forth. Now, Galileo Galilei was very fortunate that he didn't lose his head or was burnt at the stake. He was very fortunate. He died under house arrest. But who claimed to be the experts, Duncan? The pastors, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, those days it was the um, the Pope and the Cardinals at the Inquisition, which Galileo faced and which I've studied in great depth. But they were there were theologians venturing into astronomy. Galileo said, "Folk, I see four moons orbiting about Jupiter. The Earth is not the center of the solar system or the universe." For that, Galileo faced the trial of ultimate treason. And he almost lost his life. It's just very fortunate that he had some very good connections which saved his life. But he nearly lost his life. Now, can you imagine, Duncan, here is a scientist and he's looking up at the night sky. And what is he unveiling to us? Truth. Mm. The telescope is revealing to us truth. Galileo looked at the sun, for example. He saw sunspots. He looked at the moon. He saw craters. He said, guys... I'm revealing truth to you. This is truth. But the pastors ventured into theology, if you like. But they weren't the pastors as we know pastors today. This was the sets of cardinals and so forth of Galileo's day. And uh, the interesting thing is, again, who was right? Were the pastors right? Were the cardinals right, Duncan? Or was the astronomer Galileo right? Science was right. Science was right. Science won the argument hands down. And so I think that this is what we are facing again, is pastors venture into the realm of something of which they know nothing about. They're totally misinformed. Their source of knowledge is probably uh, the U magazine or... um, (laughs) Sorry, folks, but 
you know, I respect the U magazine maybe for pictures of Hollywood, but I'm not sure I would go to the U magazine. Sincerely so. I mean, my wife loves the U magazine, but do you see what I'm saying, Duncan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, U magazine doesn't claim to be a source of expertise on astronomy. That's the point I'm making. The U magazine itself doesn't make that claim, and correctly so, because the U magazine is serving a different function. It's telling us about the wives of the celebs and who's swimming naked on this beach and that beach <laughs> and so on. But do, do you understand what I'm saying is that the U magazine itself would never claim to be a source of ex- information on matters astronomical and the U magazine never does. But the point is I'm saying if you go to a doctor's rooms, waiting rooms, and you pick up, say, the Reader's Digest. Now, I adore the Reader's Digest and so on, but I can't get expert knowledge on how to operate on the brain by means of the you need to ask experts in the field. And that's why I'm so indebted to Gareth and to Rena and to the whole team here for allowing me and to, for giving me the privilege week by week to share the truth. In other words, to share the absolute truth which I've studied for so long. Remember, I entered this domain in 1972, Duncan. I was a first-year student in 1972. Mm. And... Uh, What you can see again is, I hope you can see again, that it's the trial of Galileo Galilei repeated. Can you see that, Duncan? Absolutely. It's just the same story. Galileo says this, and the people of the day, the theologians of the day say, you are wrong. And again, here is David Block. And uh, we faced by the theologians in America, and the theologians are saying the end of the world is coming, and I as an astronomer saying the end of the world is not coming. This is uh, the four blood moons is a totally normal occurrence. Eight of them have coincided with the Jewish feasts, and uh, the end of the world is not drawn nine. In fact, as I've said earlier, there have been 62 tetrads since the first century AD. So the bottom line as I wrap up is this. Stick to the fuels in which you are trained. Let us never repeat the history of Galileo Galilei. Allow me to say that again with all sincerity, folks, is that allow us never, never, never to repeat the history of Galileo Galilei, where the church entered the domain of which they knew nothing about. They claimed Galileo was a heretic. They sentenced him to house arrest, and the father of modern science died in house arrest. Mm. May reason prevail. May sense prevail. May sanity prevail on September the 28th, 2015. Until next time, this is Professor David Block and Duncan signing up. It's back, the Botswana Annual International Music Festival. It's all happening on Saturday, the 5th of September, 2015. In Khaborone, featuring Mafigizolo, Kulichana, Japraza, Zeus, Charmer Girl, MMP Family, Eskimos, Crispin the Drummer, Lizibo, and many more, including me, Gareth Cliff. Get your tickets online at www.webtickets.co.bw. Join us. Let's go partying in Botswana, Saturday, the 5th of September, 2015. Make it a date. Don't be late. This is cliffcentral.com.